Hebrew scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus. After their liberation from Egypt and sojourn into the wilderness, the people of Israel began to understand what it means to be God's representatives in the world through the giving of the law. Hear now this reading from Exodus. Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out. Moses went up on the mountain. The glory of Yahweh settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the cloud. Now to the people of Israel down below, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. But Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain where he remained for 40 days and 40 nights. When God finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Our gospel text this week comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He speaks to those familiar with religion's use of the law to bully others into submission. Now hear a reading from Matthew 5. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The truth is, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter of the law, not even the smallest part of a letter, will be done away with until it is all fulfilled. That's why whoever breaks the least significant of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever fulfills and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your sense of justice surpasses that of the religious scholars and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you shall not kill, and every murderer will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with sister or brother is subject to judgment. Anyone who says to sister or brother, I spit in your face, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, and anyone who vilifies them with name-calling will be subject to the fires of Gehenna. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your sister or brother has a judge grudge against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go to be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Lose no time in settling with your opponents. Do so while still on the way to the courthouse with them. Otherwise, your opponents may hand you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the bailiff, who will throw you into prison. I warn you, you won't get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you 
that those who looked lustfully at others have already committed adultery with them in their hearts. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better to lose part of your body than to have it all cast into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose part of your body than to have it all cast into Gehenna. It was also said, if any man wants to divorce his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that our ancestors were told, don't break your vow, fulfill all oaths made to God, but I tell you not to swear oaths at all. Don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne. Don't swear by the earth, for it is God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great ruler. And don't swear by your own head, for you can't make a single hair, white or black. Say yes when you mean yes, and no when you mean no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. This week's epistle text is taken from two of Paul's letters, Galatians and Romans. With a deep respect for the law, Paul writes to both communities about, he has come to, about how he has come to understand religious law in the light of the Spirit of Christ. Hear now this reading from Paul. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but through love become servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Centuries before Jesus stepped away from the crowd to begin his ascent up the mountain, Moses stepped away from a different crowd to begin his ascent up a different mountain. Clamoring up the side of Mount Sinai, the people watched fearfully as Moses disappeared into the thick cloud that shrouded the divine flame roaring at the mountain's summit. Days later, Moses Weary from his arduous climb, arrived at his destination, a secluded cave in the side of the rock face. As he entered, it felt as though he were walking through a curtain of sheer silence and into a realm of pure solitude. Over the following days, with no one to perform for and nothing to accomplish, the voices, the fears and desires in his head fell away bit by bit until all that was left was pure being. And in the being was God. For 40 days he dwelt there, nourished only by a deep communion with God, the ground of being that flows between and beneath all things. 
It was there in that clarity that I imagine he began to reflect on the troubles and experiences that had led him up the mountain to begin with. Having been with the newly liberated children of Israel for a few months, he had begun to notice the same recurring conflicts and tensions, and it was for the sake of discerning a better way forward that he made the climb. One by one, I imagine Moses bringing out the people's common troubles and holding them in the divine light. What must it look like to be a society ordered by God, Moses must have thought. First, he reflected on the troubles they'd had with quarreling tribes, the fights sometimes turning violent enough to spill blood. Well, we mustn't kill each other, he concluded definitively. Their second most common problem had to do with marital schisms, sometimes threatening to tear them all apart. And we must not commit adultery, he concluded again, and on it went. We mustn't steal from one another. We mustn't bear false witness. We mustn't covet our neighbor's goods. And then he must have begun thinking, for any of this to even be possible, we must remain in touch with who we truly are, children of God. We must never have any other gods before Yahweh. We must never reduce the spirit to an idol or a graven image, something we feel we can control or manipulate or call ours. We must never use God's name in vain. As a matter of fact, let us set aside a special day and call it holy, a day in which all we do is enjoy God's presence and rest, just as I am doing now. These, then these laws may be written upon our hearts, and we will be God's hands, feet, and soul among the nations. So finding two flat stones, he began to carve his revelations onto their surface eager to share with the people what he had experienced. What God had carved onto his heart, he carved onto the stones. And when his work was complete, the stones to him seemed to shine with the Spirit's glory. He began his descent. On the way down the mountain, however, something peculiar began to happen. The further those tablets traveled from that divine flame at the mountain's top, the colder they seemed to become. While Moses' face shone bright, the stones under his arm seemed to dull in equal measure. Reaching the mountain's base, Moses joyfully shared the law with the people, and the people were eager to receive it. Though Moses couldn't see it yet, the people reasoned that the law was safe and manageable, far less threatening than actually having to climb the mountain themselves to encounter that fiery spirit. It was there that the people learned a way to be religious without ever actually having to deal with God, without ever having to surrender themselves to God's transforming love. This is the story of the law. Father Richard Rohr, a Catholic priest and a brilliant teacher, teaches that one possible route towards spiritual maturity follows this pattern. You clean up, you grow up, you wake up, and you show up. The problem, though, is that most people are never interested in moving beyond that first stage. Clean up, follow the rules, act right. And when you think about it, this makes a lot of sense. 
The law offers the easiest, quickest way to go about religion. It offers the best way to manipulate others. It has the most solid ground for pride. Of course, it appeals to the flesh. While the way of Christ is about dying to the self, the law actually helps reinforce the self, giving the ego fodder for telling the false stories that trap us in suffering. It tells us that if only we can get everyone to act right, you know, not to drink, not to have sex, to give money to charity, then everything will be okay. Or it tells us that if we can get ourselves to straighten up and just be better or perform well, then we'll finally be happy. But that's never the case. Not for very long, anyway. This kind of law-based spirituality only leads to suffering because the truth is, you can follow all the rules to a T and still manage to avoid the Spirit of God entirely. You never have to venture up the mountain. You never have to step into the fire yourself. And you never get to know what it is to be loved and free. All you have is rules. Now, this will strike us in different ways, in different seasons of our lives, but where it strikes me the hardest right now is in my role as a father. This week, James was eating breakfast in the kitchen and watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which kids still watch, when after a while, as four-year-olds are wont to do, he started to get restless. He got down, he did a quick lap around the house, he messed with his brother for a minute, and then once he'd gotten his wiggles out, he'd get back up in his booster seat for a minute. And then, of course, he'd need to go inspect what the dog was doing or turn into a dinosaur for a second, and so on. All the while, I'm in a different room trying to get ready to walk out the door, hearing one commotion after another. Understandably, it started to make me tense because I needed to know where he was and that he was safe while I got dressed. I gave one gentle nudge and then another, and then I went into the kitchen and laid down the law. I commanded, if you're in here, you need to be in your seat eating breakfast. If you're done with breakfast, you need to be in your room playing. Those are your only two options. And then I added a, and don't make me come back in here good measure. I was only two steps out of the room before I realized what I'd done. I realized that all of that had far more to do with my own anxiety than his behavior. Did I ask him why he got out of his seat? Did I ask what was wrong? Did I try to figure out what he needed in that moment so that both of our needs could be met? Did I do any of the work of patience or mutual respect that had I paused for just a moment and let go, the Spirit would have shown me how to do? No. I just raised my voice and I gave him a new rule. And in front of Mr. Rogers, no less. <laughs> the fruit of the law is often just resentment and shame. The fruit of the Spirit deepened relationship and greater love. And by the way, my rule did not work. <laughs> that day, as Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, I imagine this was what he was trying to get his people to understand. You're stuck in this cycle of manipulation and shame and control, he tried to show them. You're stuck in cleaning up. But there's a better way, a freer way, the way of love. 
And that's when he starts to show them the spirit that inspired the law is the same spirit that fulfills the law. And it went like this. The law says, thou shalt not murder, Jesus began, referencing the revelation that Moses had had on the mountain so many centuries before. But you can keep this law and still be a slave to the anger that would lead you to kill. Trusting the Spirit means having the humility to let anger go, to drop the story, and instead discover empathy and patience. In that freedom, you won't even want to call people names, much less kill them. It's about so much more than appearances or checking boxes on a spiritual to-do list. If you've come to worship, for example, checking that box, and you remember that someone has a grudge against you, Leave worship and go reconcile with that person. That's where the life is. After all, what are you even worshiping if not the spirit of reconciliation? Jesus went on. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But you can keep this law and still be a slave to the lust that would lead you to betray a partner or objectify another. Don't wait until the seeds have sprouted and bloomed into suffering to do something. Stop watering them now. Water instead the Spirit's seeds of love and mutual respect that crowd out the weeds of lust. And while we're on the subject of adultery, Jesus continued, there's another law that says if any man wants to divorce his wife, all he has to do is give her a writ of dismissal. But I ask you, How many men have used this law as an easy way out because they've become bored or infatuated with someone else? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. To treat your partner like that is just another form of adultery. The law was given to put some structure around an already painful reality that some people face when divorce is necessary. It was not given to give you a way to indulge a sense of marital restlessness. And then you've heard the law that says, fulfill all oaths made to God, Jesus taught. But I ask you, why make an oath at all? You don't make your words more true or important by puffing them up with religious language. The ego wants to do that, but the spirit is satisfied with simple and honest yeses and nos. In all of this, Jesus seems to be driving home the fact that you can follow the law perfectly and still know nothing of the Spirit of God. But if we can surrender, let ourselves and our stories and our egos go, then the perfect spirit of love will free us and live through us. This is what it means to fulfill the law. As the Apostle Paul would later write, whatever commandments there may be, they are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. However, this is not just true on a personal level. This dynamic also plays out on an institutional level in the groupthink and culture of a church. A church with its own multitude of fears can avoid the messy and frightening work of surrendering to God if only it can create its own kind of laws. Thou shalt come to church on Sunday morning. Thou shalt give money. Thou shalt serve on committees. 
Thou shalt sing in the choir. Thou shalt not disagree publicly. <laughs> Thou shalt not step outside of the boundaries. We're not going to tell you where those boundaries are, by the way, but you'll know when you get there. These laws will never satisfy, never create the kind of life and justice that's supposed to characterize a church. But it's so tempting to keep thinking they will. As Jesus would say, you've heard that said, but I tell you, there's something so much better. Churches like the people that make them up get stuck in the cleanup stage. And for all the same reasons, things there are easier. They require less risk. They're more measurable, which means they're better for our pride. They offer more control. And so churches face the same kind of work that individuals do. To die to that false self. To let go of the false stories. The ones that say that we're doing okay if we're surviving and comfortable. And allow the Spirit to lead us. Which shows us what real life looks like. I heard one teacher recently refer to that dynamic in churches like this. The law offers us safe space, where no one is threatened, where everyone goes along without bumps or change. The spirit, on the other hand, offers us brave space. This is a space where we can be honest, where we can have conflicts that are respectful where we can get into the mess of trying something new. And it's only in that space that we can grow and become the real church. It's only ever when we let go of fear and follow the spirit into the mess that relationships are deepened and transformed. That's where we discover who we can be and what we can do together. In the brave space, is where the church comes to life. So, whether we're talking about Jewish law, church culture, or a kid in a booster seat, you can follow and make all the rules you want and still manage to avoid the Spirit of God entirely. Whether the rules came from someone else's experience of God, whether they came from your own fears or the collective fears of the community, they will never offer the satisfaction that they promise. You've heard it said that they will, that they are ends in and of themselves, but I tell you, there is only one way to find that sense of meaning, life, freedom, and peace that you crave. And that is to travel up the mountain yourself. It's to let go of our fears and take that narrow path that leads us into the flame of the Spirit ourselves. It's to travel through the thick cloud of ego and into the temple of our heart to find her waiting there, patiently offering us the truth we've always needed that you are totally loved, just as you are right now. And that word will fulfill and transform everything. Amen. <laughs>